Thank you, Priscilla. And good morning to everyone. I hope you guys are doing well and got enough coffee in. Uh, it's good to see you and good to be here. I just have a few announcements here. Uh, you could find this in, in your bulletin. Uh, but Awana, we are starting uh, this week on Wednesday, 6 p.m., uh, ages pre-K through 8th grade. So if you haven't signed up your children, you could still do that in the lobby. Uh, there is also a women's Bible study coming up September the 12th. That's a Tuesday at 9.30 here in the church. Uh, actually, it's going to be in the new building, right? The Bible study? Yeah, probably so. Okay, so uh, women, if, you're, uh, if you have your Tuesdays open, I would encourage you to uh, do that as well. And we're also going to a, well, not we, the women are going to a retreat in Lubbock, Texas, October the 6th through the 9th. Not a whole lot of trees in Lubbock, Texas, right? Uh, but I'm sure there's, there's nice country to see over there, I would assume. Uh, if you have any questions, you could talk to Priscilla. She was playing her, the piano here a minute ago, or Diane over here. Um, so... That is pretty much it for the announcements. Uh, we did have a great time yesterday at the Triple B. So, guys, I'm telling you, you missed out. Great steak, uh, good drinks, and uh, uh, awesome fellowship. Awesome talking to other men and uh, praying for each other and uh, uh, studying our Bibles as well. So, uh, we'll have another one, I believe, next month. So, look forward to that. And I am reading uh, the Bible in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And I am using the version that is in your pews. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Put on the armor of God. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for this opportunity to come as your body, worship you, be encouraged by the teaching of your word. And that's always a good thing. Lord, we ask that you may be blessed and praised this morning as we sing to you. And uh, everything we do may be to glorify your name. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Would you now stand with us for a time of worship? From the far side of the chasm, I 
enough for this whole wide world. Your great grace, oh such grace. just be my eyes are a little dim who knows whoa we got all sorts of lights now all right we're in good shape children you guys can go on to children's church uh oh hi glenn he, he waves at his friends on the camera but not to me that's all right all right all right all right all right you had to expect i was going to call you out there all right children you all have a good time in children's church i just want to remind you if you'd you're visiting with us, I don't know who all is, but we, we don't confiscate your children here for children's church, but we do have age-appropriate teaching times for your kids if you want to send them there. Some people prefer to keep their kids in big church, and that's certainly a, a valid uh, choice if that's what you want to do for your family. But um, welcome. Uh, guys, uh, we had a great Triple B last night, didn't we? It's, um, everybody wants uh, to know what we learned. We learned that we can chill for an hour and a half. That's what we learn. I need to learn that lesson pretty regularly that I can actually sit down for an hour and a half uh, without building, fixing, stressing about anything but just enjoy talking. And that's what we did, and that is a spiritual discipline as I understand it. So thank you all for coming. Uh, Jacob mentioned next month. We probably won't do it next month. Uh, we'll have uh, soon, though. We won't go long without another event uh, like that, but keep uh, keep posted in the app or on our Facebook group and that kind of thing. But we will do something soon because we all need that. Um, but go ahead and I'll turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter. And uh, you've got to remember, right, by now what our, 
our approach, right, is actually in this book important that we keep our identity at the forefront, uh, our identity as choice aliens, our identity uh, that says that we have a particular special, um, even supernatural purpose to fulfill in this world. Uh, and that's something that we forget. We forget that we're the immortals in this story. Yes? I forget that. I forget that my destiny is eternal um, and that this is temporary, right, at best. It's temporary. Uh, but we will live forever in the presence of Christ. We will be with him forever from the moment he comes for his church in the air for eternity. That is a promise of what the Scripture calls a blessed hope. That makes my particular purpose poignant, right, that I have a, an amount of time that God has defined for me to work and to achieve that purpose, uh, walking in faith, walking by the Spirit, walking in obedience, in faithfulness, and it is important, and that's the hard thing. Hard to remember how critical it is and how there is no substitute, um, and that we are aliens, and that doesn't seem, at first, right, the, the idea of being a stranger in this place does not sound conducive, does it, to achieving any kind of important purpose? It doesn't really sound conducive, does it? But it's actually necessary. It's, it's necessary that we understand that it is Christ who judges the living and the dead. It is Christ to whom we are accountable and no one else. You're actually, you know, I walk up and whole groups of people just go silent. Guys, you're not accountable to me. You're not my kids. I ain't going to spank you. I don't go around spanking other people's real kids, right? They're biological kids. I don't go around spanking you all. Um, you're not accountable to me. You're accountable to Christ, just like I am. And so I have to keep that in my mind because sometimes I say things that hurt your feelings, on purpose even, because that's what Jesus has told me to do. So then I'm obligated to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear, and that's a real problem in the world today. Uh, but we've been talking about that, right, the benefits of our identity, the application of our identity, uh, loving one another from the heart and what that looks like. Uh, longing for the word like an infant longs for the milk that he lives on. Keeping our behavior excellent among the nations, among the Gentiles. Obeying that structure that God has given us within the context of the overarching mandate that we are required to do what is right. We are required to do what is right, right? Um, I was raised in an environment where there was not a sharp distinction made between the obligation, the highest priority of doing what is right. They would say, yes, you're obligated to do what is right, and most of the time that is to do what the government tells you to. Down the line, absolutely. No rebellion. And uh, that might work sometimes. That's not how I look at it. Your obligation, far and away, the highest priority is to do what is right. And the disparity in any nation between doing what is right and doing what is obedient gets wider and wider and wider as that nation persists. That's not just us. I'm not just picking on the United States right now. I'm not picking on our political environment. That's just the nature of human history. As a nation degrades and loses its grasp on power, it begins to make more and more rules, and the disparity grows wider and wider and wider over and over and over. 
We do what, do what is right, keeping our behavior excellent. And then Peter gives us another great piece of good news. He said, uh, when you suffer for doing what is right here, you choice aliens, when you suffer, it's better to suffer this way for doing what is right. For doing what is right, just like Christ did, just like Noah did back in his day when God was being patient. And we do need to recognize God's patience in dealing with this world. Learn that suffering for doing what is right, and it's in that context that baptism saves us. There's so many things that we need to remember as we're going through. I know some people just want me to preach them a bumper sticker sermon, but you're going to screw up a lot of verses in the Bible if you don't understand the context of that book. Like if somebody walks up to you and you say, baptism now saves you. They will say, either or, you're a heretic. Or that's just not true. And then the person who believes that baptism gets them to heaven will say, well, you're the one being stupid. The Bible says that. And then where are you? Uh-uh. Yes, it does. Uh-uh. Yes, it does. It says it. So don't be stupid. Know what it says. Baptism saves you from isolation. It saves you from isolation in persecution. It saves you from a lack of identifying with the local church as a trustworthy member who is unafraid of his testimony as to his identity as a choice alien. Baptism does save you, but it does not get you to heaven when you die and has no part in that. So when somebody comes to you and says, baptism now saves you, don't let me hear you say, "Uh uh-uh. You should know better. You should know better by now, right? That was a few weeks ago. Keeping our behavior excellent. Recognizing that the end of all things is near. Our telos, our finish line. Our finish line is near. It's always been a good news for me because I'm not much of a runner. The The finish line is close. We can think the thoughts of Christ, think excellently, keep our behavior excellent. We can be informed and focused in our prayers and external, externally focused. We can pray for others instead of simply, God rescue me from my own foolishness. I mean, you need to pray that if you need that, right? But if you're sober of my serious mind and you're thinking the thoughts of Christ, that frees you up to pray for others in ways that you're not able to do otherwise. And love covers a multitude of sins. We talked about that. That loving one another allows you to prevent sins from creating an obstacle in your relationship with other people in the local church. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't ignore it. It doesn't say it wasn't a sin. It doesn't deny that it happened. But it simply says there is a higher priority. I value this other child of God beyond the sin that they committed against me or that I have sinned against them. And love covers that and allows you to remove the obstacle in your relationship. And folks, if there is a more important principle in the operation of a local body, I do not know of one. I don't know of one. So we need it. Keep our behavior excellent our behavior excellent. 
part of that, we're still in that section, verse 9, it says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Um, today, you know, I've been in some kind of pastoral ministry for about 20 years now, sometimes part-time, sometimes really uh, at, when I was pulpit supplying, it looked a little frantic, honestly. I didn't even know if I was going to preach somewhere till Saturday morning, and then I'd be driving two hours the next morning to preach on nothing notice. And I have some experience with this. You know, the church is, is frequently told that we need to be more outward focused, that we need to stop focusing on us. And I used to buy that cheap chicken baloney. That is cheap chicken baloney. That's an incomplete story. We are here, yes, to proclaim the gospel. We are here, yes, to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ that makes the dead and their trespasses and sins alive in the Spirit, in Christ, yes. But have you noticed how much of this is focused on how we treat each other? Like chapters. And that's just one little book. First Peter's not a big book. I know it feels like a big book because Pastor Josh has taken like a hundred years to get through it. That's what my kids tell me. It's a hundred years, Dad. Just read the verses, Dad. Well, no loyalty, man. No loyalty. So much of it is. It is a goal to, to, to proclaim the gospel to people, yes, but the foundation is these things. The foundation is how we allow love to cover a multitude of sins within the body. It's how, we'll talk about this at some length, how we're how we treat each other in terms of hospitality, meeting each other's needs. It's how we long for the pure milk of the Word together, loving one another from the heart. That even makes an outward focus even possible. And a lot of people skip the foundational work. They just hand you a stack of gospel tracts and tell you to go tell people about Jesus. You need to understand something. That could be a tremendous measure of false advertising. If you don't pay attention to how we're supposed to treat each other. Absolutely, right? Hey, I know this wonderful Jesus and you can be a part of this wonderful family and you can come to this local body and you're an insider now and not an outsider and you have this identity. You're a, a choice alien Jesus Christ. You're special and you have a purpose and we're unified together in this purpose. You better, you better produce... Because your external focus is then going to be an obstacle. Your external focus is going to drive people out. And I know them who are then gone for 20 years. And then they have to nearly die to darken the door of a church again. I know, I can't even count how many people I know that are going to heaven when they die and want nothing to do with a local body that God has designed as a blessing for us. Because we think we can go out with a water bottle and a stack of Jesus gospel tracts and build a church. That's cheap chicken bologna. The cheapest kind. Very practical reasons, right? We don't get outward focused <laughs> until it is reasonable to do so. 
that we have built the foundation for those things. This is a one another statement. Right? You could do a whole study on just the one another's, right? This is be hospitable to one another without, without grumbling. That an imp- that's an important caveat. Be hospitable to one another, but that's an interesting phrase. It's a compound word. Phileo or philos and xeno. My wife and I recently watched um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding again. Funny movie. You ever watch that movie? It's funny. It's old, but it's funny. And the father is there offended over and over and over again. My daughter is marrying a xeno, a xeno, an outsider, a stranger. The word normally means be hospitable to strangers, be hospitable to outsiders meet sacrificially the needs of those who you don't know that can't be what it means here can it it says be hospitable to one another that isn't something you should have to say is it that's like feed your kids Mm. we all know we're supposed to feed our kids but Peter found it necessary To say to one another, extend the grace, the mercy, the courtesy, the love that you show to strangers. Get more inward focused, not more outward focused. Be hospitable to one another. Be be as loving to one another as you are to the stranger on the street. I don't even want to know why he felt the need to have to say that and how tough it was for them to realize, perhaps, isn't it terrible we, mis- we mistreat people in our family more easily than we do? The- we're more respectful. Well, when they had cashiers at Walmart, we were more respectful to them than we were to our own family. It's a shame. It is great. Be hospitable to one another. They needed that reminder. See, some people put the early church on this massive pedestal. They needed the reminder almost immediately. As soon as the church was established, stop treating each other like trash. Stop treating each other with hostility. Stop being fleshly towards each other. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, obey your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Love one another from the heart. Be hospitable to one another. At least treat each other as well as you would treat the guy in off the street. We need that today, don't we? Again, because we're told all of the, all of the literature telling you how to be a pastor is actually telling you how to be an evangelist and how to lead evangelists because that is considered the key. By the way, those are two different giftednesses, two different offices in the church. They're never actually combined. You don't have a pastor-teacher evangelist usually. They're dealt with separately. This is the most, one of the most important things. 
But in our church climate, that is a, it's a real issue. We, we are trying so much to be welcoming to, to strangers and outsiders that we have neglected the relationships in the body that make that even reasonable. Again, we don't want to falsely market ourselves, right? One of my, my massive frustrations is how many church plants end up using pictures of people that don't go there to sell their church. You know that? It's like a toothpaste commercial. Those people don't go there. You'll never see that guy. Maybe they have a picture of the pastor, but they sometimes even find somebody prettier to stand behind the pulpit. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I could just be a voice actor. Get somebody prettier to stand up here, and I'll just talk. Maybe that's okay, based on what I read, right? Uh, There's a lot of problems with that. (laughs) You know, the, 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 the strangers get treated better than the people who have faithfully changed diapers in the nursery or taught the, the junior high kids. Now, that strikes fear in a lot of people's heart. No offense, junior high kids who are here, but a lot of people, a lot of people can't handle you, particularly. You have somebody that's been teaching junior high kids for 20 years in your church, should honor them too. I'm not saying disregard the strangers or the, what we call the visitors or the guests or whatever they're using for the term now. I have seen it happen. I've seen it happen in pastoral ministry. That, uh, you know, one pastor I worked with in particular would bend over backwards. If he found out, if he found out that a visitor was like an exciting visitor, you know what I mean, like with a great testimony, if he had happened to be a professional athlete of some kind, oh, ooh, nobody else existed in his world. But he was disrespecting the visitor, actually, because he just saw that as an instrument to an end. He didn't even love the person for the person. He loved the person for the marketing value, in my opinion. It was sad to watch. And then, predictably, (laughs) that person gets into some sort of leadership way too fast and somehow crashes and burns either their ministry or a whole lot of ministries. It's not <laughs> dangerous. You know, you, there's a reason that Scripture says not to lay hands on someone too soon. Now, he's talking about elders and deacons, officers of the church. The principle is the same. People need to serve faithfully before we give them authority of any kind because you don't know who's unstable and flighty who's on on board there for the wrong reasons if they're there for any reasons at all and then the damage is done and then who gets to pick up the pieces the the men or women that you ignored that have been serving faithfully for 20 years without any kind of accolades or even respect It's a recipe for frustration and a recipe to drive off 
people. And the thing is that people are estranged by that behavior. There's two ways it happens. Obviously, the, the foundational faithful people that have been serving without notoriety and the, you know, for years and years and years get, eventually get frustrated with that. And I'm going to go somewhere else because I think I want a little honeymoon period. I think I want to be treated special for a while. That happens. I want to be treated special. And then they go to a church where they treat you special for that honeymoon period. And they get frustrated when the honeymoon period ends and they go on and on and on. Always addicted. It's like a dopamine drop for them, right? I want to be special, so I'm going to keep looking for special where they treat me special every couple of years or less. Depending on how long y'all can keep the honeymoon period afloat, you know. It's really dangerous, really dangerous to go beyond being welcoming, warm, and friendly to being hyper-focused on new folks for everybody. That's why Peter says, be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another. The same concern, the same love, the same sacrifice, the same enthusiasm, the same excitement that you exhibit to the new folks need to exhibit to the faithful, long-term folks. So that we don't estrange anyone. We need to love each other at least as well as we love strangers. Love, by the way, covers a multitude of sins. One of the reasons it's easier to get hyper-focused on visitors is because they haven't had the opportunity to hurt your feelings yet. They're not like Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh has been here for years. He hurts my feelings on purpose. He said it out loud right at the beginning of two sermons this month. That he hurts our feelings on purpose. And I don't like that. I'm going to hold it against him. I don't like that person over there. They told me I could only have one donut. Right, kids? I don't like them either. 20 years later, depending on your kid, they might still be remembering that. Love covers a multitude of sins. Both ways, right? If you presume a sin has been committed against you or you actually have had a sin committed against you, love covers it. It makes it a non-issue, removes the obstacle in your relationship. Visitors haven't had a chance to hurt your feelings. So it's easy. The one another's, that's a different story, right? Peter says you need to allow love to cover a multitude of sins and you need to give the same care and concern to people you've known for 20 years as the people you've known for 20 minutes or last 20 seconds you know I read something recently that said that people today have an average attention span of 8 and a quarter seconds you know how long a goldfish's attention span is 9 seconds This could be a tall order for people in that culture. Be hospitable. We can do that because it's a command to do it. It's something that God enables by His Spirit through loving the Word, through loving people. Love covers a multitude of sins. The Scripture instructs us in what needs to be done 
to be hospitable and loving, and we can do it without complaint. Some people are loud complainers. Nobody raised their hand. Oh, what's going on here, you guys? Are you all listening? Okay. Some, some people are loud complainers. Some people are little muttering complainers. I'll do it. By golly, I'm sick of that moron. I'm going to love him anyway. I'm not going to tell you which one I am. Without complaint. This word for complaint covers both, by the way. Whether you're yelling it out on the sidewalk or grumbling about it in an office somewhere. Both of them. Scripture commands it. God has provided for it. So we need to be hospitable to one another, to the people that we know, to that we love, that we trust, or to those who have breached our trust. We need to allow love to cover a multitude of sins and show hospitality anyway without complaint. You know, we get told as expository preachers all the time that we don't say anything that helps anybody today. I hope you realize that's not true. There's nothing more applicable to a local body than this type of thing. But let's go on. Verse 10, as or since, I would say since, each one has received a charisma, a grace gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everyone has one. That's the admission here. Since each one has a gift, a grace gift from God, a special gift, something that you are here to do, since you have done that, since you have that, excuse me, employ it. Use it. Serve. Serve one another. All of them, by the way. So a friend of mine years ago did my ordination message because I'm ordained. It's necessary for certain functions that I do. I have the certificate in my office. We have at least one or two people around that sign the thing. But I remember in his message, he preached on the gift of pastor to the church. And he said in that message, and he was correct, that the gift of pastor is a gift that is given to an individual for the church. That's true. Uh, First Peter tells me that that's true of every single gift that God has given you. You're given, to, given that gift to serve each other as good stewards as good stewards. Do you remember Jesus' parable about stewardship? He actually had several. But remember the guy who was stingy with it? The guy who took the money from his boss and said, I know, I know you're a harsh man. I know that you reap where you don't sow, that you pick up where you didn't put anything down and so I was scared of you and I buried it. I buried it. Now if you have that quantity of gold right now, you might want to go ahead and bury it because we're in a mess. 
along with your lead and your canned vegetables, right? The point of the parable is different because he was chastised for doing that. Why didn't you just put it in the bank and I would have at least gotten some kind of interest? By the way, don't put your money just in the bank because that's dumb right now. They had real money back then. You could put it in the bank and make real interest. Now you're going to make one-third of the inflation rate if you keep it in the bank. That's just how it's going to be. You're losing money hand over fist. So again, don't take your parable as financial advice. The point is stewardship principles. And for the stewardship principle here is that you are not responsible for the preservation of principle. That's what we hear when we hear, be a good steward. That's not what it meant. At least don't lose your principle. God is not worried about you losing the principle of your charisma, of your gift, of your grace gift. You cannot lose the principle. So the only thing you can do is to employ it, invest it, steward it from a place of understanding of the abundance of God's grace in your life and to work with it hard, faithfully for the time that we're here so that it produces things for him. That's the nature of biblical stewardship, especially of our gifts. Don't be worried about losing the principle. You can't. Sorry, y'all know the difference, the principle versus the, the principle. They sound the same in English. The principle of Scripture is the teaching, the propositions, the truth statements. Those are principles. The principle is the investment amount. Here's the thing. If you are responsible for producing the principle, that would be up to you. But you didn't produce it. God did. And so he's going to preserve it. Your job is just to steward it. And he wants you to do it abundantly. It's the manifold grace of God. People think that that's a theological term. It's kind of a weird term, right? We've talked about manifold, right? Our car guys know what a manifold is. What does an intake manifold do, car guys? It distributes air where it needs to go. It's all the same air, but it needs to go different places. If you get a PEX manifold, go look at Home Depot one time and get a, you know what PEX is? PEX makes crappy plumbers into great plumbers. I know, because I'm now a great plumber. You can get a PEX manifold that has a way to distribute water to 40 or 50 or 60 different locations. It's the same water going to all different places. That's what it's for. That is God's grace, he said. That's the description. The manifold, it's the same grace being distributed in different gifts to different people for doing different things. All within the one another's being hospitable to each other, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins so that they can function together to pursue something together. It's a singularity of product and a diversity of distribution. And the bigger the manifold, the bigger the volume is required, right? Right? You need the same pressure distributed across the entire manifold. You need adequate volume. That is something you ought to be concerned about if you're plumbing your house. God has plenty of grace. For the entire manifold of the whole church universal. Which is why you need not be stingy with your gift. 
you need not be interested in principal preservation because he has enough volume flowing through that manifold to do whatever you can ever imagine with it in your life. It's not a stewardship of a scarce resource. It's not like buying gas today, right? Heaven forbid you drive a diesel right now. It's not a temporal thing. Everything that we need, he supplies. I'll give some examples. Whoever speaks, whoever speaks, is to do so as one who is speaking the oracles or the utterances of God. Now that's one thing that we sometimes have trouble with in small local churches. Getting somebody who's willing to speak. He did not say, identify one excessively charming and good-looking dude like myself. Just kidding. To speak up here. Whoever speaks... Someone who speaks, whoever does it, is to speak the oracles of the utterances of God. Take it seriously when we, when we speak. Now, that's not necessarily a teaching event, but I think it includes teaching events. One of the things that caused me great dismay in the first church that I was uh, officially on staff at back in seminary was the proliferation of these satellite campuses. And that didn't bother me. I don't care if you have different churches being in different places and you, and you send in your live stream as part of a church planning strategy. But this was reverse. This was like church consolidation. So they would have a, a fairly decent-sized church. You know, the average church in the United States is about 75 people. That's including the 10,000-person churches. That's including the 15-person churches. In the middle, you come out to about 70, 75 you know, that's about how many people God turned into Israel in Egypt, though. He doesn't need a big number to, to do something amazing. But in the Dallas area at that time, it was a very big thing. These guys, these, these pastors were tired, and they'd have a church of 250 or 300 people. Pretty good size, decent size, four times average. And they would slide the little thing on their door that said pastor and put associate pastor and put a screen on the stage and do a simulcast of some dude a hundred miles across the metroplex that crushed me you mean out of 300 people which is going to be probably, you know, that's probably 160 women and 140 men. That's the ratio, roughly. A few more women go to church than men. So out of, you're saying out of 140 men in a church like this, you don't have one man in here, including the guy that used to be the pastor, that can do a better job of proclaiming God's Word to a particular group of people in a particular place with particular issues on a Sunday morning. And that's plan A. Plan A is to video the guy in on a screen that has no idea whether you live or die, that won't be bothered a bit if you show up in an obituary tomorrow. 
Doesn't give two craps whether who, what your name is. That's sad, guys. Because Peter allows that if we take seriously that we are speaking the utterances, the oracles of God, and we take that seriously, that we can do that, employ that gift in serving others, and that is central to the local body. He who speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. We should speak God's words without shame, without apology. I don't know if you know how long it takes, took me to get to the point where I didn't feel apologetic about about half of these commands in my ministry life. I think I told you all that. I had to confess that sin a while back to you. That I spent way too much time in my ministry life being a people pleaser. Aren't you glad I stopped? Stop being so dang nice. You speak, speak the words of God. Not your opinion, not your feelings. Speak. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. If you ask most people in a Bible church like ours, almost by default, they will say that their gift is service. That's decently accurate, I think. The church needs servants. Diakonos, actually. This is deacons. I don't think it's talking about the office of deacon, though that is a necessary and appreciated and loved office. But everyone is supposed to serve. And to serve in the strength which God supplies. And we're talking about a context, right, in which the telos, the finish line of all things is near. And this one, this one kicked me in the face this week. <laughs> If God is bringing everything to the telos, then if we're serving according to the strength which God supplies, it means we're going to bring things to completion. You know how many projects I currently have that have not been brought to completion in my life? <laughs> I know some of y'all struggle with this as well. But I think one of the key symptoms of doing things in the, in the strength which God supplies is to bring things to completion and not to leave them 80% done in our ministry. That's why I don't stop preaching through a book when I get to the salutation. It's a weird, can I read it for you? She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. You know how much every redneck cell in my body would like for that not to be there to tell you all to kiss each other with love? I mean, that's, anyway, but I can bring it to completion. Serve. He is a worker of the telos, of the finish line. So we need to bring things to completion. And he says this, for the purpose, so that, that's a purpose statement, so that in everything, all the things that we're serving in, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, unfortunately, a lot of people who serve faithfully get criticized by people in the body and say, they're just looking for their own glory. It is possible, I guess. But can I tell you how many things are kind of thankless serving in a church? (laughs) 
You wouldn't do it for your own glory. Serving faithfully. Don't be scared to serve faithfully and to bring things to completion because people are going to think you're serving yourself or your own glory. If you sing, don't use it as an excuse not to sing well. We heard somebody say that recently, didn't we, Jacob? I don't want this to be a performance. (laughs) That's okay, but you need to sing better. That was not our worship team, but it came up in a conversation we were having. Don't worry, no one thinks it's a performance at the moment. Serve faithfully for God's glory because it is about Him and it is about Jesus so that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom Jesus Christ belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is about His glory and it is only in Him in which any modicum, any measure of glory comes to us. He does promise that in Him we will be glorified, but it is in seeking His glory and our highest and best purpose, using our gifts faithfully and the strength which God supplies. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises that are in it. We thank you for the offenses that are in it to our current way of thinking. We thank you for the confrontation that happens in our lives as we encounter the commands that are in Scripture. If the wounds of a friend are faithful, Father, we thank you that also your words are faithful. We thank you for it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll dismiss.